Well, uh, good morning. Good to be back. Good to see everybody here today. Mother's Day is a day celebrated by Hallmark and flower shops and restaurants that serve brunch, and uh, hopefully all of you. Um, I appreciate the, the thoughtful words that have been shared already today, noting that it's a complicated day. Uh, we are told in Romans 12 that we are to celebrate with those who celebrate, we are to mourn with those who mourn. Uh, not entirely certain where today catches you, but I hope uh, that you are feeling uh, welcome and heard and loved and cared for. I am more uh, perhaps aware today than on uh, some weeks that there are uh, high points and low points that come with being part of a family. I, uh, as many of you know, I've been traveling. I'm in the middle of a season of lots of travel right now. But uh, I was in Turkey for uh, four and a half days working to line up a, a trip to Turkey. This is the Asia Minor in the New Testament. This is a place where lots of things happen uh, the seven churches that Jesus addresses in the first uh, couple chapters of the book of Revelation uh, are all there in Turkey. Uh, so uh, the, the churches of Ephesus and Philadelphia and Smyrna and Laodicea, uh, they're all there. And all the first councils that the churches held uh, were held there. Istanbul today used to be called Constantinople, Constantine built it up right outside of, of, of Istanbul is Nicaea where the Nicene Creed was, uh, the, the bishops gathered uh, for that first conference. All the next six conferences were there, so lots and lots of things to see in Turkey. And I was there working on lining up this trip that will happen uh, most likely next spring break. And then uh, I went to Cambridge and I went back to a theological library there for uh, 10 days and I'm not entirely comfortable with what it says about me, but I spent about 10 or 12 hours a day in a library studying uh, the seven deadly sins. So <clears throat> greed, uh, wrath, lust, sloth, gluttony, pride, uh, these were the topics that I was um, fascinated with for uh, 10 days, and that series on the seven deadly sins will start next fall. That's, I had to get a bunch of things in line for that so that we'll be ready for that sort of special campaign that will be happening. While I was gone, while I was out of the country, my father had uh, some significant heart issues, and there were some anxious moments around that and trying to figure out, talking to brothers and sisters, do we all just convene on Little Rock? Is it, is, do we need to get there? And uh, we decided no, and uh, he's doing fine. He had a pacemaker installed, and it's doing a lot better. And then on the other side of the equation, our 25-year-old uh, son got, came home on Friday night from his two-and-a-half-year stint in the Peace Corps, living in a sort of in a, I don't want to call it a slum. He doesn't like it to be called a slum, but a, a slum, uh, a rural <clears throat> outside of Santa Domingo uh, where he was working with uh, kids and literacy and computers. And so anyway... Uh, to love is to risk. It brings great moments of anxiety. It brings great moments of joy. Uh, I hope that you continue to love in spite of the risks and that you are shaped profoundly by the love of God. Well, uh, not often, but occasionally, very infrequently, but today, we get a, a gift. The passage lines up perfectly with the occasion. 
We are working our way through the Gospel of Luke, right? The, the life, the, the work, the, the teaching, the claims of Jesus Christ. And today we come to a perfect Mother's Day passage. The passage where Mary, the one selected by God to be the mother of the Son of God, to raise and nurture him, Mary loses Jesus for most of a week. Mary and Joseph, but this is Mother's Day, so I'm going to focus on Mary, and she misplaces the Son of God for most of a week. Uh, I don't know whether you have had experience losing kids for any length of time. Uh, If they're teenagers and you're actively trying to lose them, it doesn't count, but I'm talking when they're little, and uh, you know, two or three, and all of a sudden you turn around and they're not there, you know that panic sets in in a matter of seconds. Uh, well, Jesus was not two or three. He was 12, but he goes missing for the better part uh, of a week. And uh, it suggests that perhaps Mary was uh, not calm and collected and that everything in the Jesus family was just as you would think of it in a nice, pristine Uh, No one raises their voices or gets nervous about anything kind of family. That was apparently not the case. And maybe that's good news, right? Encouraging news. Uh, 15, 20 years ago, I was preparing a Mother's Day message on Proverbs 31. If you're not familiar with Proverbs 31, this is the passage with the perfect woman, right? She gets up early before anyone else. She makes a huge breakfast. She's running a business. She makes everybody's clothes. Everybody looks good. She's perfect in every, you know, this is Martha Stewart without the criminal record for insider trading. <laughs> this is the, this is that uh, young CEO of Yahoo who takes over the company has a child and posts the first quarterly profits in five years all in a matter of three weeks, right? So that's Proverbs 31, and I was working on this passage, and Sherry found out, and she said, you, preaching on Proverbs 31 on Mother's Day, is a bad idea at so many levels. I can't even begin to to explain that. And so I did not preach on Proverbs 31 Uh, We're doing the anti-Proverbs 31 passage today. Mary loses Jesus for a good period of time. So you might not have had great weeks uh, as moms, but you probably didn't lose your kids for five days. So feel good. Let me read this passage to you. It's Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 41. Luke 2, 41 and following. Every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple court, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? 
he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Let me make a couple observations from this passage sort of generally. And then um, an observation about motherhood generally and leave you all with a challenge. This passage suggests, among other things, that Jesus is raised in a home where his parents are doing everything they can to follow and honor God. The last time we were in Luke, we noted that uh, he was circumcised on the eighth day according to the law. Then they traveled to Jerusalem from Nazareth. It's a four-day walk. They traveled to Jerusalem after 40 days for the purification ceremony for Mary and for the dedication of Jesus. All the little clues that we get suggest that to the extent possible, they are trying to be uh, God-fearing, law-abiding Jews raising their son in the ways of God and the temple. Secondly, it's worth noting that this text suggests that Jesus is sort of an average 12-year-old boy in one sense. He's not hanging out with his parents. 12-year-old boys generally don't want to hang out with their moms and sometimes don't want to hang out with their dads. They're on this four-day walk. They're going uh, from, from Nazareth up to Jerusalem and then back, and Jesus is not hanging out with them. And the fact that they will go an entire day before they think that they better figure out where he's at suggests that he has been running off on his own a good part of the time, right? 12-year-old boys aren't hanging out with their mom, and Jesus was not hanging out with Mary and Joseph. It's only after it's dark, right? The streetlights are on, he was supposed to come home, they've had dinner, they're looking around, where is he, that they become anxious and start to look. And uh, then they discover that he's not with any of their family or friends. And then they really begin uh, to get concerned. Perhaps you have not had this experience of of, uh, losing your children or not knowing where they are. We have. Uh, Initially, it's just embarrassing to be knocking on doors going, Hi, yes, any idea where our kids might be or calling? Uh, yeah, this is Mike Woodruff. I'm, you know, Austin's dad. I'm Ben's dad. I'm Jason's dad. You happen to have any idea? Have you seen him in the last six hours or so? We're, we don't know where they're at. Initially, it's just embarrassing. And then at some point, it becomes very anxious, right? I cannot figure out where this kid is, and he should be here. So they get anxious, and they've got a day walk back to Jerusalem, a city of 100,000. Right? No cell phones, no idea where the child is. It says they looked for him for three days before they find him in the temple, seated with the religious leaders, carrying on a conversation, and being unique, uh, showing unusual insight into the scriptures. And when they see him, Mary says, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been 
anxiously searching for you. The word that is used here for anxious suggests we're in a great deal of stress, right? This has not just been a minor thing. We have been quite agitated for days. And Christ's response is not one of um, really, I mean, you could read it with a sarcastic voice. Why were you looking for me? Or, you know, where did you think I'd be? I mean, but that's not, I think, what we get here. What we have here instead is just more of a, of a note of confusion. You know, well, Mom, um, where, did you, where did you think to look, right? I mean, the angel announced that I was going to be born... You conceived me as a virgin. There was the whole star thing and the wise men, Simeon and Anna, all the prophetic announcements. I've been perfect for 12 years. Uh, (laughs) What exactly were you thinking? This passage um, has been captured for many reasons. Uh, It's it's portrayed in art, and and I've uh, pulled up a couple of... uh, We've got paintings of this. We have uh, icons of this. There are wood carvings of this. This is a significant moment uh, in part because it's one of only two conversations we have between Mary and Jesus. Uh, Interestingly, both times she initiates and asks a question and he answers with a question. Uh, This is also the, the the very first time we hear Jesus speak. So there's some significant weight to these words, and these words sort of provide the freight, right? I mean, for him to say, where did you think I would be? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Uh, That's just a profound set of first words for us to get from Christ. There there are plenty of things that that we might see here. I want to suggest that among the things this passage should sort of point us to is the idea that at 12 we see that Jesus is unique, but he's also normal. He is surprising people with his insight about God and the scriptures. But at the same time, he's a little bit of a clueless 12-year-old boy who's like, Oh, you've been worried about me because you haven't found me for five days, right? I mean, that sounds like a 12-year-old boy. I didn't, I didn't think about that. And that's really the picture that we get. Now, there are some, some extra-biblical sources where people don't like the suggestion that we get in the New Testament that part of the whole process of, of the incarnation... Part of the humiliation of God, right, God becoming a person, is that he really became a person. And he didn't, get a, he didn't get a bypass junior high, right? He is a junior high aged kid with all the challenges and limitations that that brings on. There are some people that I think imagine that at his birth, Jesus, because he's God, has perfect insight into everything. He knows everything that's going on. That's not what the passage tells us. What what the passage says is that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. He grew physically and he grew in insight. Somehow, he puts some of that divine knowledge aside. He doesn't access it. He is really one of us in 
every way except sin. And this is unthinkable. So some people say, well, it didn't happen, and there are stories not found in the Bible, but there are stories where, as a little boy, Jesus, all the animals come and bow down to worship Jesus, or Jesus is performing all these miracles, or Jesus takes some clay and molds it into birds and claps his hands and they fly away. We, we have these accounts. That's not the picture that we get about Jesus in the New Testament. We see that, that he is special, unique, good in so many ways, wise ahead of his years, we see that he's also really one of us. And as a real boy, he, of course, had a real mom. And I think that although Mother's Day is not a ostensibly Christian holiday, the idea didn't, didn't come out of the church, it's not found, there's no precedent for it found in Scripture, the uh, God has always honored mothers. The church has always tried to recognize that this high calling of being a mom. And so I think that there are opportunities for us to make at least a couple observations about motherhood from this passage and from the Bible generally. So I, I want to I, I make one big observation and then, again, this challenge. And the observation is this. Mothers matter. Perhaps it is profound because it's so obvious we often forget how important it is. But mothers matter. They're part of God's design. God is the one who thinks all of this up. God is the one who entrusts his son to a mom. Think about that. The, the, the biblical idea here is that families come first. There are, there are arguably seven big institutions out there. There is, there is the family, there is the state, there, uh, there is the church, there are businesses, marketplace ventures, there's uh, education, in educational institutions, there's media, there's the arts. Right, we can fit virtually everything into one of those seven categories. The, the one that comes first is the family. Before the church, before the state, there's a family. Families are foundational to everything. They are foundational to society. The family comes first, and mothers are central to the family. every, Every family is different, and the dynamics are a little bit different, but generally, moms are absolutely in the epicenter of the family. If you want money, you go to dad. If you want anything else, any insight into where things are, how things work, where you're supposed to be, that's mom. Mom's the ones who, who seem to know all of this. And I, I'm emphasizing that moms matter because uh, our society has, over time, devalued the role of motherhood, tends to celebrate salaries more than the sacrifice that comes with being a mom. Uh, I I emphasize this point because uh, it's not always obvious to people, and mothers don't often get thanked as they should. And I emphasize that mothers matter because there's a whole lot about being a mom that's not very fun. I was, um, had a a 
brilliant moment of clarity on this when I was traveling back. So a week ago, I trained from Cambridge to London and then another train from London to Heathrow. And I'm rush hour, the train's packed, and uh, I am feeling a little bit, you know, I've got luggage and I'm in this commuter train. And uh, I look over uh, feeling just a little bit harried until I see this young mom. She's got a five-year-old. A girl, and then a, a, a boy that I'm going to guess isn't quite two. And the boy's in a stroller, and he's not happy about it. And uh, they're going to be on the train probably um, 25 minutes. And she's brought um, something for him to eat and something for him to drink, and she's got this special blanket, and she's got a toy, and she's got a book, and she, you know, clearly. She's, she's doing everything she can. She is prepared for this 25 mile, 25 minute train ride, and she's trying to keep him occupied, and he is just pitching a fit and screaming and spitting out his pacifier and saying no, and and she's trying, and then he starts flailing around, and he sort of throws himself back and hits his head on the bar for the you know, and now he's howling, and you can tell she's now kneeling down trying to console him. And I am looking right at her, right at her face the moment I'm convinced she figured out what was wrong. And all of us figured out what was wrong very quickly because it's obvious this boy has a messy diaper. And he doesn't want to be sitting in the stroller anymore. He wants out. And I see just this look on her face like, oh my goodness. Well, what am I supposed to do now? right? There's no changing a diaper on this train. I mean, there's no room for anything. And, and here she is, right? I mean, so she's, you know, she's got the food smeared on her, on her shoulder. All the other women around are, you know, they've got a briefcase and a Starbucks, and they're dressed nicely, and they're sort of looking over at her, and she's just, she has to be thinking, ah, oh, I just went off the train, and her daughter says, Mom, I, she goes, I don't say anything, don't say anything. She says, four more stops. We got four more stops on the train. Then we can get off four more stops. Just help me keep him occupied. And I thought, that is motherhood. I mean, there's, nothing, there's nothing glamorous about that moment. She is trying as hard as she could to love and care for someone who's not being particularly lovable at the moment. And that captures a whole lot of what it looks like to be a mom. And, of course, I also thought of the fact that uh, this young boy will not thank her. He will never think to thank her for this moment. I remember being up uh, in, in the middle of the night, and the fact that I'm up in the middle of the night means that, that Austin had already burned through, you know, Sherry. So she's... And he won't go to bed. He's, you know, he's weeks old, and uh, I, it's, we're exhausted, and I am, I'm, you know, you can't set him down because he screams. You can't sit down with him because he screams. And I'm, we're in a small apartment, duplex, so we don't want him, I only not want him screaming to wake up Sherry. I don't want him screaming to wake up the neighbors. And I keep showing him outside. He goes, see, it's dark. No one has their eyes open, right? I mean, it's like I'm walking around the apartment and I'm exhausted and I'm thinking, you know, he will never think to thank me for this, right? He will, ne- he will have no idea what we're doing for him. And 
it was a couple weeks later, I'm telling this story to somebody. It's like, yeah, yeah, you know, we're not getting all this sleep, and he's, he's up, and, he, and you know, he's never going to know this, and he's never going to thank us. Maybe when he has, gets, grows up and gets married and has kids, maybe he'll think to thank us for all that we're doing for him. And this person said, so did you call your mom and thank her for the times that you were? <laughs> no, I didn't think of that. I'm just thinking of that he's going to thank me one day. So that's the way it tends to work, and being a mom is not an easy job. But being a mom matters. So in light of that, I want to leave you with a challenge. And this is not a setup, right? I, I, I have no desire, zero desire today to make any moms feel guilt in any way, shape, or form for not being perfect moms. I have pointed out a passage where Mary lost Jesus to say it's a hard job and we don't get it right. But here's the challenge, and it's not just to moms, but especially to moms. Moms, because you matter, right? seek God first. Because who you are matters, because what you do matters, seek God first. It is imperative that you see yourself first as a child, only then as a mom. Your primary role is not defined by having children. Primary roles are not defined by being fathers or by being mothers. It's not defined by occupations, by being doctors or lawyers or teachers or whatever. We should not be defined by any of those primarily. We are to be defined by our relationship to God. We are children of God. And in Christ, we are loved and graciously accepted exactly as we are. It's not because we're great moms or great dads or great anything. We're not. <laughs> That's the point. But God's love is unconditionally extended to us through Christ. In Christ, you are loved perfectly. And that love and that grace and that, that sense of being accepted puts you in a very different frame to be a mom. And it's imperative that you see yourself that way first. Your children, whoever they are, right, whether they are wonderful, whether everything you write about them in your Christmas letters is true or not, whether they're wonderful or whether they're not, right, they don't define you. They're not big enough to define you. Right? They're, they're, they're not as important as God, and it's unfair of you to have placed that burden on them. The only one that is big enough to define you is God. And, and so the call to you, the call to moms, the call to dads, the call to all of us, is that we understand ourselves first as children of God, loved by the grace of God, and that that 
fills us up and helps us then see every other role and opportunity and challenge differently. Some of you will get, some of you moms will be thanked today, uh, some of you will not. Right? Some of you will be thanked in cute ways by cute kids. Uh, some of you will uh, be taken out to lunch and some of you will get flowers or cards and some of you will not and some of you will not be thanked in ways that that offer any life to you I want to say whether that happens or not right the most important thing for you to hear today is the love of God that comes your way through Christ that is what should shape the way you think about everything that you do the gracious love of God defining you first as his child, only then as anything else. Seek God first. Let me pray for us. Father, as we have acknowledged in a bunch of different ways, it's a day of, uh, of joy and a day of pain, and um, we want all of that to be uh, filtered through your love, your grace, the work of Christ. Whether uh, moms are here feeling uh, successful as moms, moms are here feeling very unsuccessful as moms or unappreciated as moms or whatever, Lord God, I pray that um, what they would see and feel and know to be true is um, gracious love extended to them through Christ. Because what they do matters, we pray that you would uh, pour out your grace and love upon them. Fill them up. Help them go forward from that uh, sense of being accepted and embraced by you. In Christ's name we pray.